After what for me has already been a wonderful morning, we now take time to hear our Father's word as found in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. As you're turning there, I I want to say thank you to all of the students and others from uh, Azusa Pacific University who've come to be with us. I I don't want you ever to leave, so just come and stay and uh, we'll be a better place for it and maybe this could be a good family for you as well. I thought, too, uh, how, how grateful I am to be a part of this church family. Just the, the privilege I have, I, Dwayne and, and, and John, uh, to serve alongside of you, John Stuthers, uh, with the incredible gifts God has given us to, to bring together. Um, Marion, for leading us. What a, what a woman of prayer you are. It's such a joy to be able to serve with you. I, I feel so blessed to be here. Now we have a chance to hear the Lord's word found in Ephesians chapter 3. Let's stand because we are indeed hearing the word of the maker of heaven and earth. Beginning with verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this has been quite a week here in Southern California, hasn't it? Do you notice that I seem to start every sermon that week that way now? Starting to feel a little bit like Garrison Keillor. Do any of you know him, the Minnesota storyteller? who has this fictionalized town of Lake Wobegon, and he always starts, well, it's been a quiet week here in Lake Wobegon. Well, not here in Southern California. It has been quite a week here in Southern California. We have been agonizing over all the political uncertainty and the turmoil. We agonize over the financial roller coaster that our whole world is in that that has touched not only our community but the life of our church and so many of you. And, of course, now we gather in the light of the fires that have been raging all around us. Uh, Starting the other night, of course, hearing about it in Montecito. Some of you know that Westmont College, uh, Azusa Pacific, a brother brother school of yours, uh, was uh, hit very much by the fires there. Many of their buildings being destroyed. My son is a senior there. This this fall, he's studying abroad in, in Italy. And yet as an art major, so many of his fellow senior art majors lost all of their work in that fire as they get ready for their senior project. So many others have experienced other kinds of loss, some even loss of life, and it continues on raging now in Orange County and in in other places. We, We must be called to prayer. But it seems to me that as we gathered here this morning, providentially, the text that we come to is so appropriate. We'll be just looking at a few verses, Ephesians 3, 19 through uh, 17 through 19. But those of you who have remarkable memories, let's see if anyone does, uh, may recall that this is the text I spoke from when I was installed as pastor here just over a year ago. 
So you know this is a text that means a lot uh, to me. In fact, the first time I ever preached from it was the graduation just after 9-11. The school where I was serving had students from over 50 countries. The whole world seemed to be in turmoil. Wars were everywhere. I thought about our, our students going back into some of the most difficult settings in the world. And I began praying about, Father, what should I pray for our students? Uh, what is it that we can have them, that, uh, give them, that they hold on to in the midst of all kinds of loss in this world? And I came to this text. And it seems so appropriate as we gather here. What is it that we as a church family have to offer this world in a world in which things that people often value more than anything else are lost in just a moment. Uh, their artwork, their homes, so many of their possessions. And here we have something to offer that cannot be taken away. The Apostle Paul, turning to the people in a, in a church in and around Ephesus, prays for them. And this is the second part of his prayer. He's falling on his knees, verse 14. So it's a prayer of great earnestness. And the second part of the prayer is this. And it's my prayer for us as we gather here today. I pray that you, you who have been rooted and established in love, I pray that you may have power, power together with all the saints, power to grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and power to know that love that surpasses knowing so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, first, I want to ask this question. What is that prayer? I've I've come back to this again. I've looked at this text so many times, but now that we're almost through Ephesians, the first three chapters, I see it in a new way. What is that prayer? The first thing that we see is that it is a prayer for power, just like last week's message, a prayer for power that we might know the presence of Christ among us and live as God would have us to live. Now, again, he comes back and says, I pray again that you may have power. But one of the things that you're going to recognize is when Paul prays that you and I and and the church may have power, he doesn't pray for power the way most people pray for power. In fact, when I was talking about this on the campus that I used to serve, I gathered a group of faculty members around, and one of them, Dr. Brian Mayer, who was both a psychologist and a theologian, when I asked the question, what's your first impression of this uh, passage of God's Word? He said, my first impression is this. I've been in church my, my whole life, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody praying for anybody else this way. Have you? Uh, we often pray for power. But it's usually power for us to do something, right? Uh, Students who are here, uh, prayer for power to remember all those things you studied for an exam. And for some, remember things that you've never studied for that exam. Uh, Business people, a power to be able to have success in the decisions that you're making, that even with the financial turmoil, that there will be strength to be able to go on and and that that business will be able to succeed. Uh, Power for those who are struggling with health problems, to know the healing strength and might of God. Power in so many ways. But here we see that it's not praying for power that we can do something. It's the tendency of a preacher like me to often pray that we'll have power to love God more 
And, and, and we need that. We, we need power to live for God in a, in a better way. And P- Paul gets to that in the last three chapters of Ephesians. But before we can have that power to live for God, we first must have power for something else. And this is where it begins. And, and it helps us to understand the Christian faith. We need power to know how much God loves us. Do you see that? See, Christianity is not me somehow having enough strength that I can live well enough that God will accept me. The Christian faith is all about God's love for us before we loved Him. It's about God loving us while we're sinners. It's while we were away from God that that God loved us so much that He sent His Son who loved us so much that He gave His life. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And here we have the Apostle Paul praying that you and I may have power to grasp and to know the infinite dimensions of the love of God for us. Now, those are two words that I want you to make note of. I mentioned them last week, but here we come right to them. To grasp and to know. To grasp and to know. I think I even put, see up there, I even put the Greek words. Aren't, aren't you impressed? Uh, so you can see it. I put them there because I, I want you to, to understand the, the differences in this because I think it's important to grasp. Katalabestai. It, it's a Greek word that has to do with, with seizing, with laying hold of, with grabbing something and not letting it go. It, it is a word that usually has to do with our minds. Taking time, taking the time that's necessary to understand what God has said about Himself. And even though it may go beyond normal human understanding, power to grab it and whatever happens in this world, never to let it go. See, a a part of the reason why we stop after this marvelous music and open up this word to hear what our Father has said is that we need to hear what He teaches us about His world, about ourselves, and about Himself. And when we go through this word and we see what God has taught us about himself. We see so many things. But one of the truths about God that permeates the Bible from the beginning to the end is this that God is love. That God, in his very being, is love. And then we begin to see that he pours out, is ready to pour out his love on people. Which people? Well, we've been seeing it in Ephesians, haven't we? All people. And calls on people to respond in faith to the love that he has shown in Christ and is ready to continue to show us. And Paul says, I'm going to first pray that you have power to grasp that because you might find it hard. But you see, he doesn't leave it at that intellectual understanding or grasping, does he? He uses another word, gnonai, to know. It has to do with experience with the totality of our beings. As I mentioned last week, there there are things that we can have up in our heads, but they need to make it down. However, how far is that from? What do you think, Dwayne? 18 inches? All depends on how big you are, right? To make it from our heads into our hearts and even beyond into the whole of our being. Because you know that there are things that you can simply say, yes, I've heard God say that. Yes, that's the way he's revealed himself to be, but we can still feel inside that we are not loved. We can come into a church and not understand that God knows where we've fallen short and says, in spite of that, I've made you in my image. I sent my son for you and I love you with an everlasting love. So we find Paul praying that we will have power 
to grasp that. Now, why do we need power for that? Well, one of the answers is right at hand in the text, because it goes beyond knowing. Isn't that amazing? I pray that you'll have power to know what surpasses knowing. How can you know something that surpasses knowing? We need power. We need help. And I see it in a world like ours, where the normal places where you'd expect us to experience love, where many of those places are fragmenting. You know, our families, sometimes even our friendship circles, where a friend that we thought cared about us isn't faithful in that friendship. We wonder, is there a love that can be unending and that will never be taken away? A love that goes beyond anything that we've experienced in this world. It surpasses human knowing. And that's what Paul talks about. You, I even find him. I, I feel like he's kind of where I am when I get up here preaching. Sometimes when I stand here, I think I cannot find words to say what I want to say. Don't you feel he says that? I, I want you to have power. Power for what? I want you to grasp and to know the love of God and its infinite dimensions. What is it like? He says it is wide and long and high and deep. I'm praying you have power to know how wide the love of God is. Wide enough, as I read the book of Ephesians, to embrace all people. And for them, they needed to know it was wide enough to embrace both Jew and Gentile. They, they could hardly imagine that. But it, it was true. And I'm wondering what he would say to us. I, I want you to have power as you gather there in that Lake Avenue church family to know a love that is wide enough to, to embrace Young and old. Those of very pale hue, like your pastor, or those of much more vibrant hue. Uh, those who are well educated and those who are less educated. Those who are rich and those who are old. Those who are Democrat and those who are Republican. Is that possible? A wideness of the love of God to embrace all who are people and made in His image. I pray you'll have power to know it. I pray you'll have power to know how long that love is. Long enough to last forever. And I kept thinking, how could I say this? And I pulled up a quote from an old Baptist preacher who said it better than your pastor could ever say it. Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor. And I wrote it up here just so you can see it. This love of God, he says, is, is so long that your old age cannot wear it out. I'm looking out. Some of you need to know that, right? You, we need to know that. It is so long that your continual troubles, when you go through the trials that this world brings and that we see all around us, it cannot exhaust it. So long that your never-ending temptations and even your failures when you give in to those temptations cannot drain it dry like the eternal God Himself who is love. The love of God knows no ending. I pray you're going to have power to know how wide and long and how high it is. And this took me back to Ephesians chapter 2 where it tells us that every one of us, though we're loved by God, every one of us is dead in our sins. Remember that? And trapped. Cannot get out. And yet the power of Jesus is ready to come into our lives and to seat us with the Lord in the heavenlies. It, it is high enough to take even people like us and take us to heaven. It is deep enough to reach us wherever we are, whatever we've done. I'll tell you, one of the reasons I love to be a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that for anyone who walks into this place, I can tell you on the authority of God's word that there is hope for you.
that, that no matter what you've done, no matter how many times that you have failed, isn't it, I can turn to you and tell you that the love of God is as much for you as for any preacher in this world. It is, it is deep enough to reach you and me wherever we are and to offer us grace and forgiveness. Do you need to hear that today? I don't know what brought you into church, but maybe you need to hear today God saying to you, I know you as you are, and my love extends to you. That's why he's praying that we'll have power. It takes power to grasp that, don't you think? And to really believe it. Now, I told you that this became my prayer for our students at Trinity when I was there. And I think I've mentioned to you before, but I want to say it again, why this became my prayer for our students. It's because as I got to know the students, and I wonder at Azusa if you have some of the same stuff that we had in Chicago, or maybe it's just Chicago problems. What do you think? But among many of our women students who were coming in to the campus, I found that such a high percentage were wrestling with, with perfectionism. You know how this world just puts an image in front of people of how they're supposed to look and you see the pictures, you see it in the media. You know, don't you, students, that nobody looks like that. Airbrushing makes people, nobody looks like that. And yet there's sort of this feeling I've got to be like that and look like that. And when we fall short, we think, I don't love myself. How could it really be possible that anybody loves me with this kind of love, much less God? I began thinking, how on earth can I pray for our students that they may know that just as they are, God knows them and loves them. I, I started, that's a part of what started motivating this prayer. And the other part was, as I got to know many of our young men students, it wasn't just men, you know, that these things cross boundaries too, but I'm just kind of generalizing here. But with so many of our young men students, I found that they came with a deep desire to know God. I've mentioned to you before, I, I love what is happening in our world with this longing for spirituality. And yet at the same time, though they had a hunger to know God, there, there was a... A long period of time of failure, often addictions, sometimes chemical addictions to alcohol, sometimes sexual addictions because of the Internet or other things. They came and were trying to find freedom but didn't seem to be able to find freedom. And they thought, how on earth can I be a person loved by God? Began praying for our students, wanting them to know that there is the liberating power of God that is available But the forgiveness and grace of God is always there. It became my prayer that our students would have power to grasp and to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for them. And I'll tell you, I think we need to hear that message just as much, don't you think? We need to, all of us need to hear that message. So that's become my prayer. Just know this, just mark it down. It is my prayer for those who are part of this church family that you may have power to know how much God loves you. Which brings me to the second question that I want to think about just for a moment here. Is why would I as your pastor pray that prayer? Of all the things that we might pray, why this? And here we come to this eloquent, look at verse 19, you've got to see it. And if you can understand everything that this verse is about, you've got to come up and teach me. Because every time I look at it, I think about it in a new way. The last phrase. I am praying that you'll experience the love of God so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do we have that? Look at that. What is that talking about? When you experience this unconditional, unrelenting love of God... 
you then have something happen that you become filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Well, I can only take you as far as I, I've gone. I keep, I keep praying and thinking about this. But here's the way I see it. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that you and I were made in the image of God. There's something about us as human beings that reflects what God is like. And yet Genesis 3 says we walked away from that. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Not only that, we've turned other people away as well. But Jesus came and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what God is in, in the process of doing is of forgiving the sin of people made in his image. And then not just leaving us there, of remaking us to become what he would have us to be. What's called here, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's other language in the Bible. Jesus says, be perfect as God in heaven is perfect. Uh, Peter would say, be holy as God is holy. It's really telling us uh, the good news of the gospel. Now, I think we have short shrifted what gospel is about. We often think it's just that I've been forgiven my sins through faith in Jesus. But the good news is this. Not just that we were forgiven of past sins, but that God loves us so much that he's going to remake us. So that the future doesn't have to be like the past. Good news for you. If you come in and yesterday was just a mess, tomorrow doesn't have to be the same. There is the opportunity of the liberating, miraculous power of God to have the future be different from the past. And that's what he's talking about. You need to experience the love of God so that you can become what God made you to be. Complete, whole, and healthy people knowing the shalom of God. And as you look at the text, the implication is this. The only way that you and I ever grow to become what we were meant to be is if we experience some context of love. Now, you know that psychologists and sociologists are affirming that nowadays, don't you? What the Bible teaches here? Telling us that, that people who have never experienced unconditional love anywhere in their families or anywhere else find it very hard to be whole people. You know that. Those who have never had healthy, loving relationships often find it very hard to have healthy, loving relationships with others. Now, when you think about that, if that's true, and I'm quite sure it is, uh, in our world where family structures are fragmenting, friendship circles are often falling apart because we move and go so far from one another, so many things happening in society, then the future for American society seems rather bleak because if people haven't experienced unconditional love, how will we learn to be relational and whole people? Here is some hope. God has planted in this world an unexpected family. Forgiving and beginning to remake the whole family and each one of the families. He has planted even in a place at 393 North Lake Avenue a representation of his family. And it is to be in a place like this that we experience something that perhaps we've never experienced anywhere else. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, you know what that means for us, don't you? It means we have to be that kind of family. And it's not easy, is it? Especially when you have a family as, uh, as broad and diverse, with different viewpoints and opinions. How do I know this? Because so many of you write me and let me know. 
How, how are we going to be this kind of family? You know, if, if back in the first century they were having a hard time, the Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't want to get together. And Paul says, get over it. That's what the family is. Uh, as I've been saying almost each week, God says to us, I have put you here. This is my family. Now be what you are. Love one another. Because when people experience that within a community of love, you and each one of them will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Of course, that means we have to be that family, and that means you have to plug into that family too. Which brings me to the last point. Our time goes, as it does for me at least, every week so quickly. How does God answer this prayer? Okay, remember the prayer. Power uh, to grasp and know the love of God so that you can grow to be what God meant for you to be and you long to be. I mean, how is God going to answer that prayer so that this will happen in your life? And as you've heard me say it other times, when I say something like this, the answer obviously is this. He's God. He can do it however he wants. Right. And he does, doesn't he? Those of us who have walked with the Lord for a while, aren't there those times where you just wonder where God is and, and you, you just need some encouragement, need some help? And then amazingly, often in very unexpected places, God sends somebody across your path. Have you ever had that happen? And they'll say something that you just know, ah, that's a word I needed to hear. I always pray that it will happen even when you come to church here uh, in one of our services. That you might not have even wanted to come. You can think of all, maybe a fire will start at our house this week. So I'm not going to church. But you came anyway. Maybe your spouse forced you to, your parents forced you to come. But here you are. Maybe you had to direct the choir. See, I pick on you, John. Had to pick on you. So here you are. And then suddenly... The message of the scripture, it's as if it were directed specifically to you. Have you ever had that happen? And you know that God loves you. So, so God can answer this prayer to let you know that he cares about you and he loves you and he's ready to encourage you in all sorts of ways. Another thing we see how God answers this prayer is from that little word grasp. That we take time to open up this word and see what God says. And when we do it regularly as we do it here and we see what God thinks about you. He will tell you again and again, I love you. Now, he may say, I'm not happy with where you've been or what you've been doing. But he will say to you, I love you and I'm ready to start working with you again. I've told the joke. It's, it's not like the husband who never told his wife that he loves her and she complains. And he says, well, I told you when we got married 20 years ago, if I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> he, God doesn't do that. Again and again, knowing us because he made us, knowing us, we have the opportunity to hear him say again and again, I love you. So you need to come to hear that and you need to open this word to hear that. But there's something else. And now that we've come to the end of the uh, chapter three of the book of Ephesians, we know what it's getting at here. How is God going to let us know something that goes beyond knowing how much he loves us? And one of the main ways is that we are to experience it here in this world in this unexpected family that he draws together, a place like the Lake Avenue Church. Do you see it? Look again. Verse 14. For this reason, I'm going to kneel before the Father. They need help. And I pray that you, who have been rooted and established in love. Yes, it's the love of God. But here you know by this time that he's talking about this family 
that he has rooted us in. It's like, it's like a seed being put in soil. He's put us in a local church like this one where we draw nourishment as we are here and we participate. And in case we miss it, he just declares it. It's like a trumpet blast with that next phrase. Together with all the saints, which is all God's people. All God's people. So the point that he is making very emphatically is that you and I experience the otherwise unknowable truth that God loves us through participation in an unexpected family where people who would never otherwise be together. In Ephesus, it was Jew and Gentile. They didn't want to be together. They hated one another. But he says, if you will learn to worship together and serve alongside one another, the world is going to look at this and they're going to know that God is there in that place. And that's true here too, right? Uh, In this divided world where, where people disagree about so many things, they walk in here and see such different people Young giving up preferences and singing along with the old. Old giving up preferences and trying to sing as fast as all those things that happen in the life of the church where we give up preferences. When people see us worshiping together and serving in the community together, they'll say, how could that be? And what they will know is it takes the power of God to bring that about. And not only will they see that we love one another and therefore God is at work, but we, in experiencing that, We'll know what goes beyond knowing. We will personally experience the love of God. Now, I have to stop here for just a moment. I want you to listen very, very carefully. Because what I'm going to be saying right now is so countercultural that it might not even seem right to you. I know that when I talk about love in 21st century California, immediately people think about the way we define love, which is a love that has absolutely no demands. A love that will just let people do whatever they want. And if we would confront, that's hate-filled. If we say, no, that path that you're going down, that's self-destructive. No, 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 that's not loving. I don't know when this started. It certainly started back in my day, at least. I'm going to date myself here. Do any of you remember that old movie? I think it's from the early 70s, A Love Story, where the trailer said, I'm looking to see if anybody younger than I knows this. Last, week we, last night we had a whole group, and they, they kept saying, no, I've never heard it before. But here, here it was. Love means you never have to say. See, I knew the nine o'clock group. I, I, I knew last night they didn't know that. Love means you never have to say you're sorry. You know, what does that mean? That means there's nothing anybody does that's wrong. So they never have to say you're sorry because it's unloving if you would ever confront. But that's not biblical love. Biblical love means God loves us so much he won't let us hurt ourselves or hurt the world that he's put us in. He loves us so much that he has told us how to live and really tells us if we live his way, it's better. Uh, But so many people don't believe this. I began to see this most clearly years ago when I was watching a television interview with Carol Burnett and her daughter, Carrie Hamilton. Uh, Carol uh, Burnett was one of the great actors and comedians uh, of an uh, an earlier day. And she and her daughter, Carrie, who's since passed away, but her daughter, Carrie, were having, I guess, almost the usual mother, teenage daughter problems. Um, her, her daughter was, they were always on edge. Her daughter wanted to have her private space, so kept her room locked. But Carol Burnett had grown up in a home where her parents had struggled with alcoholism. So she began to watch Carrie and think that she was in trouble. But Carrie kept her room locked and said, don't go in there. You go in there. I hate you. You can't do that. But she decided she had to make a decision. Did she love her enough 
to come in and confront. So she broke into her room, went in and found what was there, all the drugs, all the drug paraphernalia from the things that she had written, um, that she was was addicted. And then Carol grabbed some others, and they had the time of confrontation and taking her forcibly to a halfway house, to a detox facility. And in that interview, Carrie told about how when this happened, she had screamed and sworn and kicked her mother and told her that she hated her. And I'll never forget, Carol Burnett said this, I had to decide if I really loved my daughter. Notice, loved. And I had to understand that love is not simply letting a person do whatever she wants to do. Love is loving enough to have her hate me for a while so that she might truly be able to live for the future. And I decided that I loved Carrie that much. Now, now in our day, we've called that tough love. I just want you to know that that is love. That's, that's just what love is. Uh, a friend of mine, faculty member at Trinity, D.A. Carson, has written a book that kind of gets at that. He calls it The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. That it's difficult for us in the 21st century world to believe that God is both loving and holy and that both of those work together. And that when we walk away from the way he's made us to live, he lovingly says, no, no, no. And calls us back, calls us to his way of life. Do you remember I talked about this last week? I talked about two kinds of comfortable religion. Do you remember I talked about some have had a religion where you had ethics, just telling people what to do but afraid of spirituality. Oh, no, none of that mystical, spiritual experience. That was kind of the the last century. Nowadays, people are open to having spirituality, but no ethics. Don't make any demands. Just let me kind of experience God on my own so I can keep living as I want to live. This week, I want to think about two insufficient ways of uh, approaching community life in the church. There are churches that have always had demands. You come in and all you hear, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But you never sense that it is just a love for you that is ever motivating any of that. Nowadays, I think the tendency has gone the other way. A whole lot of talk about love, but without any demands. No correction. Probably was two years ago. I was speaking at the Princeton Evangelical Fellowship at Princeton University. Uh, The head of that is a good friend. So he assigned me the text. They were in the Sermon on the Mount, and he gave me the one about adultery. I said, why don't one of you take that? No, we want you to take that because you get to leave, they, they said. So, so, so I did the same thing I did here on the Seventh Commandment. Do any of you remember that? Well, I just kind of laid out what the Bible says, that, that sexual activity is a great gift from God. It is a beautiful thing, but it was intended... Uh, to be within a marriage commitment between a man and a woman. There was a young man on the second row. There was a large group that was there. And I'd had lunch with him several times. And the whole time I was talking, he just, he was just, (laughs) no. And afterwards, he came up, and there were a group of probably 15 students around. I I would always stay around until I couldn't even stay awake anymore because college students do that, right? Stay awake. He's an old guy. Just talking about this. And finally, he just said, listen to me. One man, one woman for a lifetime just committed to one another? That can't be. And I remember him turning to all the students around and says, Nobody on this campus agrees with that. 
That, to me, this really hit at it. That often the way that God says life is meant to be lived runs counter to our cultural values and even to our natural human inclinations, which are fallen. And that what Jesus calls us to do lovingly and calls us to do in the church lovingly is to lay out what he says is the way God meant for us to live. And that sometimes the way that God calls us to live just is so hard for us, isn't it? And sometimes the demands that he makes of us are not easy because we have a whole different pattern, a whole different inclination. But remember what Jesus said. Before you call yourself a Christian, count the cost. In fact, he says, if anyone would come after me and notice his words, he must deny himself. Do you see that? Everything inside of us tugging us this way. When we become Christians, we say, no, not that way. I'm going to go your way. It's going to feel sometimes like taking up a cross, but follow me. And then this powerful phrase for the one who wants to save his own life and and just live the way you want to live is going to lose it. But the one who is willing to lose his life for me and the gospel will find life. See, you're with me here, aren't you? The issue that always stands in front of us when we go to church is do we trust God? Do we trust him to be good? Do we really think that Jesus laid down his life for us to ruin ours? Or do we believe that when he laid down his life, he wanted to forgive us of our sins and then introduce us to a whole new way of living that in every way is better, that is filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So Christian faith always brings with it those demands, and many people call them unloving, and I tell you they are not. Uh, John, I was talking with John Studs about this Tuesday, and he reminded me of a quote from Dorothy Sayers' wonderful book, The Whimsical Christian. You should read it, but this one part of the quote, I just took part of it out. She wrote this. In a world, this, this value is called tolerance. Just let anything go. But in hell, it is called despair. This is the sin that believes in nothing. It calls for nothing. It seeks to know nothing. It interferes with nothing. It hates nothing, it lives for nothing, and it remains alive only because there is nothing for which it will die. That is not Christian faith. Christian faith says God loves us with an everlasting love. He will tell us how he has made us to live. If we will turn our lives over to him, he will cast sins as far as east is from the west. And then when we give our lives to to him, he will send us in directions that are sometimes difficult. But always we will find it is beautiful. And this love is to be encountered in a gathering, unexpected gathering of all God's people. Now, again, it means we've got to be that, right? By God's grace. And in case you're wondering, you're visiting, we're not perfect yet. But, but I do think we're growing. We're growing to become this kind of family. And if you'll come and be a part of us, you can grow with us. Because not only do we have to grow to be that, but you need to be plugged in. So that it's, it's like a, a seed in the soil, rooted and established, so that that nourishment can come through. You need to worship together with God's family as we're doing now, so you've started well. You need to also be involved in a little bit of a smaller group so that you can touch the lives of others. So that when you see them going astray, you say, I love you and I think you should live this way, not that. We need that correction, don't we? And one small enough so that they can correct and encourage you too, and say, you know, I see some real growth there. And you say, oh, good. I needed to hear that. You need to be in a smaller group and we need to serve side by side in the life of this family. And we need to serve in the community together so that people can see 
the work of God in drawing people together who otherwise would never be together. I'm telling you, a church family like this, when, when turmoil comes, like people who are experiencing loss through the fires, a church family should be a place where they know this family is praying for them, but, but not just that, standing with them, uh, trying to help as we can provide where there is loss, because in the, in the life of a church, we should experience the love of God. And that's why in this week, where it's been quite a week in Southern California, I think it is so appropriate that you be reminded that this is my prayer for you, and I pray that you will make it our prayer for one another. Are you ready to hear it? I pray that you, who have been rooted and established... In love. I pray that you may have power. Oh, yes, power together with all God's people. Power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and power to know that love that surpasses knowledge, so that you, yes, believe it or not, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, now I pray I've been faithful to this, your word. Such a wonderful and a powerful word. And I pray that you will use it to do your work in our lives as you have done throughout the centuries. Where where people have come, perhaps they have failed yet again and wonder if you are yet ready to forgive them. Help them to know that your grace is so much greater than their sins. It's unimaginably greater. If there are people here who have experienced loss and feel so discouraged... Father, may they find here a family where they will know they are not alone and always know that you are there so that they are never alone. Father, if there are some who have even come this morning who have never responded to the message of the good news of Jesus and given their lives to you and know you as their father, may this be their day of faith. Father, we pray that you would speak. Encourage those who need to be encouraged. Correct those of us who need that. Do whatever work in our lives that you will. We are ready to hear. We're ready to respond. In Jesus' name.